Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Day Podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a quicker podcast for everybody, just kind of, for the most part, we'll be breaking down the Auburn Regional that the Auburn Tigers just won against Southeast Louisiana, Florida State, and UCLA, and breaking down the Super Regional matchup in Corvallis against Oregon State. Um, but before we get into all that, we have a little update for everybody. If you listened to last week's podcast, you got to hear of Wheeler's fascination of Oilers hockey and you know he he made a a bold comment last week that the Oilers were going to go all the way and win the Stanley Cup here I did not say that I did not say that don't put any fake news here we are a week later and the Oilers were swept by the Colorado Avalanche in the conference finals so Wheeler just real quick what 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 do you want to what do you want to say about your your boys getting swept they made it to overtime. They lost most of the games by one. It reminds me a lot of Auburn baseball last year. Good team, just couldn't quite win the close ones. And hey, that means that next year is the Oilers' year. That's all I have to say. Hey, at least the Rangers are still in, so we have some good hockey to watch. We do. That series has been much more competitive than the Oilers' series. And, hey, ESPN actually puts it on at a time where people are awake and wanting to watch sports, unlike our Super Regional, that we get to tune in at 9.30 p.m. It's like they saw, oh, we're going to put Auburn on ESPN Plus exclusively to see if we can drive up subscriptions. Oh, well, they watched. Uh, Let's put them at 9.30 p.m. on a Saturday and a Sunday night. It's not like any of these people have to go to work. I mean, heck. They read the one article by Forbes magazine that Auburn University is the best place to work for young grads, and they just assume that we're all going to skip school because it's summertime. Absolutely not. We believe in work, hard work, and that you need sleep for. And so this whole staying up till 2 in the morning on a Monday morning, that ain't going to fly. Coach Suge wouldn't have been about that. Uh Uh-uh. He didn't put the creed in his boot for you to stay up halfway through the night and get up you know, at 10 a.m. and eat your mom's pancakes. You got to get up by your bootstraps. You got to wake up and cut the grass at 6 a.m. on Monday morning before you go to work. That's what I do. That's what Noble wishes he could do. That's what our dad wishes Noble would do. You know, when I when I have the mental image of Shug Jordan storming the beaches of Normandy with the creed in his boot, I don't think, he was thinking of Auburn baseball in 80 years, 
playing at 9.30 at night, you know? Well, let me I tell you what he really was wasn't thinking of. Auburn mind. baseball being played in Oregon on an artificial turf field when it's cold outside. That's not even baseball. That's the pickleball version of baseball. That's the wussification of America baseball that we can't play on dirt because we, we'd have to use some Tide Pods. Let's save the environment one uniform at a time and all play on artificial turf so there's no grass stains. There's no dirt stains. I don't know why we don't just play it in a dome. Let's just keep it all climate controlled. Make sure, you know, take sweat breaks. If you start to get sweaty, go stand by the fan, go stand by the air conditioning. Week. When I was at Auburn, we used to walk back and forth to class uphill in the snow in the winter in the time. Snow, yeah. And then it was 115 degrees when I was in school. So Top in case down. you were wondering, in case you were wondering, Wheeler on this podcast is anti-Colorado Avalanche, anti-Oregon, anti-Corvallis, anti-ESPN, and anti-Beaver. So, and anti-turf. He's very anti this this uh, this podcast. But I am strongly against turf. I think turf is one of the worst things that's happened to America. I don't like turf for baseball. You like I, turf I don't for mind, football? I don't mind it as much, but it depends. I don't want. I would not want Auburn to have a home field like a home turf. But I feel like it's more of an NFL thing. It doesn't bother me when NFL teams have turf. You know, turf fields. That doesn't really any kind of turf. Me. It doesn't feel bothers my core. I don't like. I don't like it. My biggest thing is I don't like not like what 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 you were saying. Not having the stains because when you look at the end of the game, it's almost like you can kind of see part of the story of the game. When you can see the guys that have the grass stains and the dirt stains all over, you can see all that. But on turf, it just kind of you know, their uniforms are still shiny and new, and it looks like it's the beginning of a game. So I think that's the really the only problem I have with her. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not excited about going and playing in Corvallis. The Pac-12 is not baseball. I'm telling you, turf, 930 at night, Pac-12. That took my excitement level from a 10 to about a 4. If we were playing Vandy at home, that would just be right. The thing is, I think that while it is later at night, I do think that the views will be pretty high for at least the first game. The Saturday night game that they moved it from starting to 9.30 to 9. I think the college baseball fans of America will all be watching that game. Now, the average you know, run-of-the-mill fan will not be watching it because it will be late, but also – you don't have to go to work the next day. It might be a little different, I think. Not everybody has an 1130 service at church, Noble. Some of us well, got to get up because the Lord only happens at 9 a.m. If you miss 9 o'clock, you miss God. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. But I think that can kind of segue into our regional discussion. Auburn's first game. Uh, against Southeast Louisiana, the Tigers won 19-7. to Really wasn't a game from the beginning. Auburn was up 11 to nothing after the first inning. Um, the environment was absolutely raucous. Really one of the craziest environments I've seen for Auburn baseball ever. Um, but either just kind of give us your, your thoughts of when you were watching the game, the nerves that you had going, the expectations you had going into that game. 
Did you think that that was a potential upset? Did you think we were just going to rail them like we did? What did you think going into that game? Uh, what was going to happen? Yeah, I was listening to a podcast uh, before the game, and they were talking about how uh, Southeast Louisiana did not have the pitching and kind of how bad their pitching had been all year. And I was like, we are going to smush these guys like a bug. I don't think anyone saw 11 runs in the first inning happening. I mean, I think that was one of the more embarrassing performances I've seen in a Division One sport ever. I mean, that poor guy was horrendous. I mean, it was one of the worst performances I've ever seen out of a Division One baseball player. And honestly, the guy that came in next didn't do much better. Um, Auburn did a good job taking advantage of a poor performance. Um, it was an electric first inning. And if I'm being honest, I probably should have just stopped watching after the first inning because I proceeded to spend two and a half more hours watching not that exciting of baseball. Um, you know, it's one of those things. I do love the blowouts for the team and the purposes of advancing, but I don't know. I mean, do you enjoy just sitting there for three hours watching a game that you're just looking at your watch to see when it's going to end? See, I think it's a little different. Since I was at the game, I think it's a little different that I'm still kind of, you know, you have the baseball environment and all that. Now, obviously, you want it to be a closer game, but it's easier to watch a blowout in person than watch a blowout on TV, especially when it comes to baseball. And I will also say, if it was a respectable team, that's the other thing. Like, when Auburn blew LSU out in football a few years ago, when it's a respectable team and you're blowing them out, that's super fun because you're like, wow, we're amazing at football or wow, we're amazing at baseball. When the other team's just bad, I mean, watching the Southeast Louisiana game, I mean, it kind of reminded me of if they came, their football team came to town where it's like, oh, yeah, we scored a touchdown. Well, I mean, Auburn should score a touchdown on this team. Uh, we've scored three touchdowns in the first quarter. Yes, Auburn should do that. You know, it's like when Akron came to town last year. It's just like, if it doesn't happen, you're like, wow, my team is messed up right now, like Georgia State. But if it does happen, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what was supposed to happen. I don't know. I agree with you. I think if I was there, it would have been a lot more fun of a game to watch. But sitting at home on the old ESPN Plus, after we saw two home runs from different sides of the plate, I could have checked out and watched something else. Yeah, I definitely think that this game was more of a – even when you're watching it, you can see, you know, when it was you, – you could see kind of the guys that we put in. After, you know, Trace Bright started the game, pitched five innings. You see them put Copeland in, and as the first guy – as the first guy from the bullpen, you see Copeland come out and you're like, okay, they're saving the, the first guys out of the bullpen. So then it becomes like you're just trying to save guys. So it's even like to that extent, you're like, you're not even watching your best against their best. You're watching just like you trying to finish the game at that point. So you put in Copeland and Brooks Fuller, who, you know, you know, Copeland's seen a little bit more action, but Fuller – hadn't seen a ton of action and meaningful baseball, but it's great that, you know, you could get him in for the, for the postseason game. He did his job, got us out of the game. Then the next day, it was a little bit more of similar to what you were saying, uh, reminiscent of that LSU game, 
we're playing Florida State. You go in to that game. I think we had lost nine straight in postseason baseball. Florida State in baseball really just seems to have our number. Um, but how how would you describe your feelings just kind of, you know, obviously it was a close game and then just blowing the door open in the fourth inning, scoring seven runs to go up. I think at that point it was 10 to one. Just kind of how were you, how would you describe your emotions in that game um, against a more quality opponent and a more respected opponent compared to the night before against Southeast Louisiana, despite the scores being pretty similar? Oh, yeah. See, that's a game where it wasn't 11 runs in the first inning. Like, I at least had a couple of innings where it felt like a real baseball game. And so I enjoyed every minute of the Florida State game. And we were actually throwing a good pitcher and actually trying to – you know what I'm saying? You're trying to play an actual baseball game. You're not just trying to save arms and play the bigger game of the tournament like you were on the Friday night game. And so that that game, way more entertaining. Seeing Auburn beat Florida State, very entertaining. Sat there, had no problem with the game, was not thinking, oh, my gosh, when is this going to end? Super excited for the next day. So, yeah, Florida State, that's a game that you're happy with a blowout. Again, if we went out to Corvallis and swept them and beat them by 20 runs in the weekend, I would be perfectly happy with that because it's an actual team that you're beating like that. And so to do that, you would have to be playing exceptional baseball and not just, oh, my gosh, this team is not deserving to be on the field with Auburn. So Yeah, I feel like it would be like the uh, like when we played UNC in the Supers two years or three years ago in 2019, and, you know, we were up 11-1 to after the first, and that was just like that whole game was still so fun because you're just like, oh, my gosh. We're smoking them. They're the ones hosting a super regional. Like, yeah, it was much more exciting. And, you know, Florida State, you had Joseph Gonzalez and Carson Swilling um, throwing the first seven innings. Um, both of them, you know, performed pretty well. Uh, Swilling, struggled, uh, Swilling struggled just a little bit, and then he put in John Armstrong, uh, and he closed out the game. And then, you know, you really, at that point, you know, going into the Sunday game against UCLA, um, he had another another hot start. UCLA had had to play earlier in the day, won two to one against Florida State. So when you you know you see that you got to play UCLA, and it's a close game for Florida State, so you know it's just kind of like okay, in all likelihood we should do pretty good. You see the guy that UCLA is going to start, a freshman with like an ERA. I think he had like a nine point nine ERA. I mean it was horrible. He had pitched six innings the whole year. So that was just kind of like you see that coming in, you're like okay. We're going to beat these guys. First inning, you know, you have score two runs. They ended up pulling the six-inning pitcher and put in guys that were actually upperclassmen that had actually seen action the whole year. It was extremely baffling to me why they pitched the freshman at the beginning of the game for no reason and pulled him halfway through the first. But regardless, glad they did. We got two runs out of it. Um, but you kind of saw, you know, by the sixth inning – you know, Auburn scored four runs, and we're sitting there, we're up big, and then I think it was up uh, 9 nothing at the – when the, the rain delay happened. You know, the, the delay had happened the whole time. And you're sitting there, and you're kind of like, okay, Barnett absolutely was phenomenal on the first night, but you kind of are sitting there, and you're almost like during that game on Sunday, you're kind of like 
a little worried that you didn't pitch enough guys in the weekend. You know, you don't want to have one of the guys that you're going to need next weekend not pitch at all this week. Um, but I would say that it kind of worked out a little bit that we had the rain delay because it put Barnett out. You had to put the other guys in. You ended up getting Skipper and Burt Coulter some some innings where they didn't play necessarily phenomenally, but they were able to throw some meaningful pitches and kind of, you know, at least get their arms going uh, a time in this weekend. So, Wheeler, what would you describe about the UCLA game and how would you kind of, for the, for the listeners, just describe – the, the emotional aspect of it, going to, you know, kind of going to bed for the players up 9-0. They know they got to play the next day and finish a game that against a team that was completely dead in the water the night before that comes out with a little bit of life. What would you say kind of the emotions going into that game? And also how would you say wh- what were some things that you saw from our guys that you liked that they were able to overcome kind of the, the comeback that seemed to, it seemed to start? I definitely feel like there was a certain level of pressure, even though the lead was 9-0, for Auburn to come in and just not blow it. And I think you could see that on the guys. Um, But that's going to be a really unique situation that, I mean, odds are you're not going to have a lot of situations where a game is stopped in the sixth inning and you have to go back the next day and restart it. Um, So, I mean, what was Auburn would have lost 4-2, to if it was tied when the game was yeah, I mean, suspended? If, if we had only played those innings, yeah, it would have been UCLA 4, Auburn 2. And, I mean, I think if the game's tied, then all of your pitchers that are going to go that day have a much different mentality than we're up nine. We'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got a little bit nervous while I was watching it solely because I was like, this would be the most Auburn thing ever to – be up nine, there be lightning in the area, and they have to suspend the game after we've already gotten, you know, a tough out from Alabama, the Alabama game getting totally canceled, um, and basically preventing us from uh getting a bye week or getting a bye game in the SEC tournament. So, yeah, I mean that would be a difficult thing to have overcome. Hopefully, we don't have to deal with any rain. I feel like we've had to deal with a lot of rain recently. We have, um, definitely. Which, I mean, it kind of goes along with postseason baseball just because of the time of year that it is. Um, but, I don't know. I, I it, it was nothing happened that was a reason for concern or something that I didn't foresee happening. Like, I didn't expect Auburn to come out and hang six more runs on them with the mentality of, we're already up nine. And I – kind of didn't expect us to just shut them out because I was like, that is really hard to shut a team out that is a regional team back-to-back days, especially when they're already down nine and they have no pressure of like, if I strike out here, I'm going to be in big trouble. It's like, well, you're down nine. Nobody's going to say that was the reason we didn't come back and win. So I hope that the team continues to play loose. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel good about this Super Regional. I think I feel better. Well, I felt better about the Regional, obviously. But I feel better about this Super Regional than I typically do. Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, the, the thing that I was most encouraged about about that UCLA game was the two runs in the ninth. So it was still like with how hot we had been, you know, in the first three games, you, you didn't want to just see us – 
go into the the last three innings with nine runs and leave with nine runs. It was nice to kind of see that the bats still kind of were going and and stuff like that. Obviously, the bats are probably not going to be as hot as they were this weekend uh, against Oregon State, but you know it, it's nice to have. It's nice to be just really hot going into a super regional, especially against a team like Oregon State, who really, I mean, I'm not going to say, I mean, obviously they won the regional, but I, I would not say that they necessarily were. They were not nearly as convincing as Auburn was. You know, you look at their um, their schedule, I believe on Friday night, yeah, Friday night, they go to overtime or extra innings, you know, technically not overtime, but they go to extra innings against New Mexico State, win that one. Next day, they win again, uh, and then they get make it to the regional final, lose to Vanderbilt in the first game 8-1, to one, and the next game was a real tight one where they had to put their ace back in. So Oregon State definitely had a much more stressful weekend than Auburn did despite still you know winning and still going to be hosting. Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that makes me worried, if it was Oregon State – you know, having to come to Auburn, I wouldn't be nearly as worried. But the fact that our guys have to travel about as far across the country as you possibly can, the weather is much different there. I mean, on that first game, I mean, those guys were wearing hoodies and long sleeves. I mean, it was like – it was pretty cold over there, whereas our guy, I mean, it was extremely hot uh, in Auburn this weekend. So the temperature is different. They play on turf. We play on grass. It's just going to be a lot of different things. I would say that this is about as different as you can get. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were really hot this weekend. If we hit like we did this past weekend, uh, against Oregon state, I don't foresee us losing. Um, but yeah, Wheeler, what are your kind of thoughts about, about this matchup? The high is 68 degrees with a 60% chance of rain for Saturday. And then the high on Sunday is 60 degrees with a 50% chance of rain. That is just misery. That is, why would you want to live in Oregon? Why would you want to live somewhere that when in when it's June, you're in the 50s for your high? Oh, so yeah, that's going to be very different than what you've experienced uh, in Auburn in five months, probably. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they adapt. Um, I do feel like it's easier to go from the heat to the cool. Then to go from, I haven't been out of 50-degree weather to, oh, it's 93 degrees outside and the sun's beaming down. And, I mean, you saw even the Florida State pitcher who's used to the humidity. Humidity makes it really hard to pitch. Like, if you're just a guy that sweats a lot, it there's no getting used to the ball slipping out of your hand. Yet, like, you can't account for that. You just have to try and keep your hand as dry as you possibly can. And so that'll be... A fact. I don't think it'll be as much of a factor for us going out there, but it is. I mean, it's like you said, that's the biggest transition we could have possibly had going out to a cold weather environment and all turf field. I'm trying to think. I don't think we've played on an all turf field this year. I think Vanderbilt's the only SEC team that has an all turf field. Maybe Kentucky. Them at Auburn. Did, does Kentucky have an all turf field? I don't think so. I think Kentucky has a grass field. That might be the case. Look it up. But, I mean, I don't think – I think that that's going to be a bigger difference than the temperature is. But we'd love to hear y'all's takes. Anybody that's played baseball 
on a turf field, but I would assume that the ball definitely bounces differently just based off of what I've heard about teams going to the Rangers um, home field because they have turf inside their home field, and so do the Rays, and I've heard that it, it plays a lot different than a traditional field does. Yeah, it looks like – yeah, it look, does look like I was wrong. Kentucky does have a turf field. Okay. That's kind of what I thought. Google search. I feel like if you're that far north, they're not going to try and yeah. grow but I mean, But I think regardless, you know, you kind of look at – just looking at Oregon State's, you know, kind of resume, they have a really solid kind of a win-loss record. You know, you look at them on the – you know, you just if you just look at their uh, their record, they sit at I believe it's forty seven and sixteen. Yeah, forty seven sixteen. But if you look at their recent matchups, they lost the last two series of the season. One of them against Arizona, and the other one against UCLA, who obviously was in the Auburn Regional. Um, their pitching is kind of the you know their name of the game for the most part. Their hitting is good. Don't get me wrong, but they're their pitching is definitely their strong suit. If you look at kind of most of their games in the season, they don't have many games where the opponent gets to double digits, even in kind of that off game of the series when they lose. And you really didn't see that until going to the Pac-12 tournament. They beat Washington in the first game 13-8, to beat California in the second 3-1, to lost to UCLA 25-22, to which is just crazy for baseball, <laughs> then beat UCLA – eight to seven, lost to Stanford, nine to five. And then in the NCAA tournament, they beat New Mexico State five to four in 10 innings, beat San Diego 12 to three, lost to Vanderbilt eight to one, beat Vanderbilt seven to six. So really their defensive showings have not been nearly as strong in the past month than they were for the majority of the season. They kind of limped into the Pac-12 tournament and won some games, but also had some losses against teams that, you know, you specifically look at UCLA, they had two real dogfights with them. And, I mean, Auburn's game against UCLA was not super competitive. And if they had, you know, played all nine on Sunday night, I don't know if UCLA gets any runs. So you kind of look at the, the differences. Auburn is a much hotter team than Oregon State is, and I don't think that's super debatable. Um, I think that if you look at that, Auburn has a really good chance going into Corvallis. But – Obviously, they are a really, really talented team. So it's going to be it's going to be a tough fight. But this is not the kind of series where you look at where you don't see a scenario where Auburn wins. I mean, this is I think the uh, I think the percent chance that Oregon State has is fifty five percent, which is obviously really close. And I think that's kind of a home home field or home turf swing. You know, if it was in Auburn, Auburn would have the fifty five percent chance instead. So. I, I really, really don't hate this matchup for Auburn. I think that the only thing that I – the thing that scares me more is the temperature differences in playing on the turf field more so than Oregon State just looking unbeatable right now. And I think that's a good place to be, that the actual Absolutely. baseball team is less intimidating than the change in environment. Because they're also going out on Thursday, so they'll theoretically have all day Friday and – you know, the morning of Saturday to get out there and do some BP and see how the ball plays off the hop and such. But, I mean, I also think it's interesting. I mean, obviously you don't want it to be 
I mean, obviously you would prefer it to be hot because that's what we've been used to recently. But I do think that the Alabama weather does condone itself a little bit to switching quick. You know, I mean, everyone knows in Alabama, sometimes it's going to be 85 degrees for a couple of days and then all of a sudden it's in the 50s. And, you know, you might play a weekend series where it's burning slap up and have a midweek game where it's freezing. So, you know, these guys have played – I mean, they have played uh, cold games. I mean, I've been to a few of these games that were frigid. So they they have played in the cold. They have won some games in the cold. But you are going to look at it as it's going to be much different. So hopefully they can get acclimated quick and, you know, be ready to play. But I, I'm i cautiously optimistic, and the more I've been looking at Oregon State and watching some of their games, I'm really feeling – really starting to get get some optimism going into this this series. And I'm currently cautiously predicting a win in this series to advance to the College World Series. 2-0 win. 2-0. Interesting. The, 2-0. The, I, think, I think one of the interesting topics will be how Auburn kind of lays out their pitching, you know, because obviously you got to think Gonzalez is going to pitch the first game. You know, your ace, your best pitcher is going to go first in this kind of a setting. Um, but I don't think it's super crazy to have Barnett come in to start the second game instead of Trace Bright, judging by how the two of them pitched. Uh, I don't think Bright was necessarily terrible, but I think Barnett had a really good showing against UCLA, and he's been – I think he's been pretty hot the past couple weeks. So I would not object at all to Barnett being being the guy that comes in. The only thing that you really got to watch out with him is the walks. You know, against UCLA, he did walk a couple guys, but – I mean, he threw a shutout and had 10 strikeouts. So, I mean, at the end of the day, he did his job, pitched pretty much six. I mean, the, I think it was 5.1 innings technically. But, I mean, he did his job and, you know, Bright did get hit a little bit more. So, I, I would not object to having Barnett start. But, Wheeler, kind of what are your thoughts about how the bullpen might work out this weekend? I think you – I'm with you. I think you just play the hot hand. Like, talent-wise, they're pretty equal. And so I don't know why you would go with a guy that just had a worse showing than a guy whose last showing was a shutout through five and a third. Um, The only other thing that I could think of is, I mean, honestly, the walks really weren't a problem other than the first inning. Like, the first inning was the only time that he really kind of got himself into an issue with the walks. But also, like we said, the mentality coming in for Bright, way different mentality than starting a game. So that's the only thing that I think you be need to be cautious about. I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn goes for broke and goes, you know, starter, you know, like Gonzalez on Saturday instead of having him. I think you may change your thing and try and win this in two instead of trying to drag this out to three because honestly – our bullpen is not very deep, and if things are going well in game one, I think you throw everything you have in game one, and then you try and finish it off in game two. I don't think you try and make this a three-game series, because I think depth is our worst enemy at the as far as pitching. Yeah, I would agree. I think that if your bats are pretty hot, which, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, you'll find that out pretty quick, but if, you know, in games one and two, your bats are doing good, I mean, I do kind of agree. Oregon State is going to have more depth than us. They're going to have more depth if we stretch it to three. Like, if we 
if we play a three-game series, Oregon State's pitchers in game three are going to be better than ours. But I do I do kind of agree with what you're saying to go hard in the first two games. But I think especially the first game is the one that you prioritize. Because winning the first game, it's like, okay, it, the, the momentum that it gives you, the confidence that it gives you, I think that's the biggest thing. So that's why I definitely think Gonzalez – I personally think Gonzalez on Friday to try and just – really start that off with a uh, a big one. And if it's ace on ace, then it's like, okay, we want a game where they're ace through. So then that gives you even more confidence that, you know, we've seen the best pitcher they've got. We beat them going into game two. We're going to face a guy that's not as good. We hit their ace. We're going to hit this guy too. And we're going to win this thing in two and get back to Auburn. So I definitely think that it'll be an interesting thing to see how Butch, you know, does it. And honestly, the one thing, the one almost concern that I have going into the Super Regional about our pitching is Blake Burkhalter. And, you know, when he was – for the majority of the season, he was a great closer, really good for us. Then when he got hurt, and he really hasn't quite been the same since he's come back, you saw him really struggle against Kentucky in the SEC tournament, got two home runs hit on him in the ninth inning. You saw against UCLA when he comes in in relief of Carson Skipper. He – you know, struggles a little bit, allows some runs. So I would – I think that's something to watch. And also, uh, if Alsup can come in and get an inning in a big-time game, I think he's a guy that has proven recently that he can come in and get the outs when he really needs to. So I think that's another guy to look at in relief if, you know, Auburn has a three-run lead, Blake Burkenalter is going to the ninth inning with a three-run lead, and he gets a run on him. To not really be afraid to put in Alsup because of – how he's pitched recently, but I think that's really the only super big bullpen concern that I have. And then obviously with seeing how the rest of the guys can hit, I really liked putting Cole Foster back into the lineup. I thought that he did. I mean, obviously he did a phenomenal job in the first game, especially, but I thought that he, you know, fielding is a little bit more of an upgrade. And I think that he really fit in the lineup. Well, having the, you know, kind of the starting three of Rambush Foster and then Sonny Deshara coming in. So really like that really thought they really hit well. And it really just kind of seems like this team is really hitting their stride and we're going to see, you know, how much of a stride they have hit this weekend. But this is reminiscent of kind of what that 2019 team was doing and just kind of peaking at the right time, getting high and, Trying to make a run to Omaha. And not only make a run to Omaha, I mean, I think that clip came out about Butch saying, you know, I've made it to Omaha. The goal is not just to make it to Omaha. That's kind of a lame goal. I mean, he says this is a year to win a championship, which, I mean, I think that's the right thing to say. I don't think this is a national championship team. I don't think that the pitching is deep enough to go all the way into, like, I don't think, I don't think it'd go great in Omaha. Like, if we make it to Omaha, I think that's a success, personally. A great success, especially with where we were predicted to go. Um, I just don't see this team winning the national championship against teams like Tennessee, whose pitching staffs are so deep. Yeah, I think that it's an interesting one because, first of all, if we make the College World Series, I'll be extremely happy, even if we lose. I mean, you know, 2019 was a great season even though we kind of crumbled once we got there. But I think that with the state of Auburn's baseball program right now, obviously Butch sees himself as he wants to win championships, and that's what any coach should do, that he, he's doing the right thing. But as a fan of a baseball school like Auburn, you know, that's 
kind of the third, arguably the fourth fiddle right now, you know, making the College World Series is extremely difficult. And if you can do it in a season where a lot of people really didn't think you were going to be that good, you know, the guys that watched Auburn kind of thought that we were going to be a little bit better than we thought. But even, I mean, I was high on this baseball team, and I still didn't think that this team was necessarily going to make the College World Series. So I would be pleasantly surprised if we did. But on the, at the same time, you saw their batting in the regional, and obviously you got to think it's going to cool down. But if we hit like we did in that regional in the College World Series, I don't think we're going to lose. Like, I think our pitching is good enough that if we're just absolutely shelling guys, we're going to be able to win a lot of games up there. But obviously, you're not going to go into the College World Series dependent on scoring, you know, 11, 7, 9 runs and single innings. I mean, that usually just doesn't really happen. But I don't think that's a good expectation to have. Definitely not. I mean, but I think that it's kind of a, you know, baseball is kind of a, you know, usually when you're pretty hot, you're seeing the ball well, usually you're going to, you know, carry that into the next series. So I think the super regional is really interesting to see. And if we come out, you know, bat super hot and we're blowing the doors off in Corvallis, you know, maybe we expect a little bit more in the College World Series than just, just making it. But, you know, time will tell with that. But, you know, I, I, I think I'm excited and we're all going to be excited to, you know, stay up till the crack of dawn and watch some baseball. You just got to hope there aren't any, you know, rain delays or any extra innings that are going to extend the game past 2 a.m. I mean, once you get past that, it's like, okay, this is a little, <laughs> this, this is a little too much. Yeah, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be falling asleep in church, gotta get poked. But you know, we're excited to see how it all goes, and you know, I think it's it's a fun time. It's a fun time to be watching some postseason, especially with kind of how the other top Auburn sports kind of fizzled out in the postseason. You know, you got to see, I mean, obviously gymnastics made a national title. That was a little fun. And then baseball making uh, making a run. It's going to be better. And it's going to take a little bit of the sting off of football losing in the Birmingham Bowl and basketball losing in the second round of the NCAA tournament. So we're excited to see that. Um, and I think that kind of wraps up the, uh, the football or the baseball portion of the podcast. And I think, Really, we're still going to, you know, Auburn landed uh, transfer wide receiver Coy Moore from LSU. Weather. Uh, obviously, we'll do a more in-depth breakdown of all the guys that we land in the transfer portal on the future podcast, kind of when it settles down. But just kind of give us your initial thoughts on Coy Moore and kind of what you think he can bring to this wide receiver room and what really approach do you think Ike Hilliard's going with when finding his guys in the transfer portal. Do you think he's just kind of grabbing guys that he can get, or do you think he's kind of hand-selecting guys that he thinks he can mold into something better to produce, you know, one of the top wide receiver cores in the conference? Coy is a really good deep threat. And, I mean, I think they needed that. They realized that there was not a lot – all of the reliable receivers that we had on the roster so far – and we've talked about this multiple times, are tight ends and possession receivers. And we didn't have that burner guy to kind of replace Demetrius. And, you know, I mean, Demetrius ended up not being a very good deep threat, but that's why we went six and six, you know? I mean, that's how college football is now. You go get a guy out of the transfer portal. It's very clear what you're hoping to get out of them. We were trying to get a deep threat out of him. We didn't. We won six games. You go and get this guy. If he ends up as good as Demetrius, 
offense is going to struggle a lot. We've been saying, you know, we need receivers and we need, you know, maybe not this year's bad O-linemen, but definitely in the high school class. Um, But this guy had a little bit more uh, substance to him at LSU. Like, he's actually done something in college. I, I'm much more excited about this than I am about, um, oh, goodness, the fellow from Miami. Yeah, Daz. Um. So I don't know. Daz is one of the Daz reminds me of Demetrius in, you know, four years ago, a lot of people wanted me to play on their team. I haven't done anything in four years, but go to practice. This guy like actually recorded stats for LSU um, and was a good receiver. So I'm really excited about this uh, pickup of Coy Moore. I think it's going to be one of the more important pickups that we have all season. Yeah, I think that the the common denominator that you see with some of these guys with, you know, Death on Worship and Coy Moore is, you know, Coy Moore was a four-star prospect um, inside the top 300. And I think you just kind of see the approach that Hilliard has is essentially betting on himself. And he's going to look at these guys and he's like, they're great in high school, go to good power five schools and maybe not produce quite as much as you expected from them as early. And then obviously, you know, they're in the portal. I almost think he's betting on himself that he's like, I know what I did as a player. I know what I'm capable of as a coach. I know what I did in the NFL. Like, I'm betting on myself that I'm going to be able to coach better than the wide receiver coach at LSU and at Miami. So I think that it's a it's a, it's a play that can, if it works, it's genius and is going to work really well. If it doesn't work, it's like, okay, well, we picked up these guys and they didn't start and our wide receiver core is terrible for two straight seasons. So – I think it's kind of like there's not really a lose situation. And if you look at the guys that were able to land in the transfer portal, you know, we're not going to be the kind of – we're not the kind of school that can land a Jordan Addison, you know. Like, we're not going to land a top wide receiver. That's just – like, we can land good linebackers, good D linemen, you know, good running backs. That's what we can do as a school. We're not landing top wide receivers. But you can get guys that were talented, that were highly sought after, you know, two years ago. Everybody wanted this guy. So – I think Hilliard is, you know, betting on himself that he's going to be able to turn Coy Moore into the prospect that he was supposed to be in high school, you know, and same with Dazzle and Worsham. And if he does pair those with the, you know, the guys, that, the talent that we already brought in, a couple four stars, you got Jay Fair, Amari Kelly, you know, those kind of guys. Plus you're going to have the guys that have been here for a long time that are going to maybe have a good wide receiver coach for the first time in a long time. You know, you might be able to see a little bit, and I'm not saying that we're going to have a top three wide receiver core in the conference or in the country or anything like that, but I am saying that if we have respectable wide receivers, kind of what we need, you know, like the way that Auburn football has worked in the past is you have wide receivers that are pretty good. You know, they're okay. You know, the core's never been elite, but you've got a guy that's pretty good. You've got other guys that aren't bad. You've got a quarterback that's pretty good. You have a running back that's really good. You have, you know, a good defense. That's, that's kind of the bread and butter of Auburn football. You know, you don't – it's not like all these guys have to be stars and go into the NFL. But if you can get one guy – I mean, you look at, you know, some of the most successful Auburn teams, you can get a Darvin Adams, an Emory Blake, uh, Sammy Coates, you know. Uh, see, 2017, you know, you know, Ryan Davis and Darius Slayton. Like, those are – yeah, they were, they were good college receivers. But, I mean, you look at what they're doing in the NFL – Darius Slayton's the only guy that really kind of made a career in the NFL. And even then he's good, but he's not, I mean, he's not insane. You know, like he's not, he's not making pro bowls or anything like that, but he's, he's a solid, uh, you know, NFL wide receiver. 
And that's just kind of what we're looking for. And arguably Darius Slayton was the least productive out of all the other guys I named that were good college receivers. So if we can just get some guys and some of these transfers are good college receivers that can fit into the offense and do their job, I think the offense will have that layer of passing that they need where the wide receivers are good enough that you have to, you know, you have to game plan for them. And if you don't, if you only game plan for Tank and Jarquez, the wide receivers are going to beat you. So I think that's the, that's the biggest positive to look for in these transfer guys. I agree. I mean, you're not, it's like you said, you're not going to go get the best receivers in the class. So you got to go get guys that, clearly had enough talent to be rated as a four-star, and for whatever reason, they didn't work out, and you just hope that you hit on one of them. Because, I mean, otherwise, what are you going to do with these scholarships? You know, like, this is not a wasted spot. It's not like we chose this risky guy over an elite talent. You know, they're going to pick the elite talent every time, but the elite talent's not going to pick us at receiver. Because why would you? I mean, if you had the prospect of Texas A&M's third string last year, and the pride of Oregon's baseball team and a 4A Atlanta high school quarterback, or you could go play for Caleb Williams or Bryce Young. Who's like, ah, yes, I like the chances of one of those three guys being better than Caleb or Bryce. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not a slight to Auburn, but it's just like, I mean. It's the quarterback. It's not Auburn University. It is the current offensive situation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, as of right now, that situation isn't necessarily elite. Now, if Ike Hilliard makes Coy Moore and Dazzlin Worship and Amari Kelly and Shedrick Jackson, if he makes those guys all legitimately really solid college football wide receivers, puts them in the NFL, then it's going to change. And he's going to say, look, I put these guys in the NFL, you know, like he'll that, put himself in the goal. NFL. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the end goal of the wide receivers. Like, yes, they want to be good in college. At the end of the day, they want to go to the NFL. And if they make it to the NFL and if you can prove that you can put them in the NFL, that's the end goal. That's what they're going to care about. So it's a process that you got to prove that you can do it. But Ike Hilliard is going to start with, you know, he's, he's chosen to start with Dazzlin Worship and Coy Moore as the guys that he's going to bring in to try and kind of start his, his career in that sense. So excited to see what happens there. Again, we'll have an in-depth, more uh, breakdown of each one of these guys going into uh, before you know before the season when the transfer portal dies down a little bit. But that kind of wraps up this week's podcast. Again, we'll be back next week to break down a super regional. Hopefully, it'll be a you know fun, happy podcast where we're breaking down the win. Um, we'll just kind of see how that goes, and obviously, uh, if there are any more commitments or uh, transfers in from uh, football, we'll be sure to talk about those guys and uh thank you all for listening and war eagle war eagle